Hello and welcome to Chats of Television Podcast Season 13, Part 5, Chats of Prey. This is the fifth series in our season on shows misfortunate enough to be canceled before airing their 13th episode, which we've been calling 13 Under 13. My name is Magellan, and I'm joined by someone whose biological clock is ticking, and it's a bomb. It's Alan. Tick, 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 tick. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big chicken. Mine's a big chicken, because, you know, it's a a chicken bomb. Did you ever see Chicken Run, the movie? Yeah. Any good? Isn't it just The Great Escape, but if Arbin Animation Studios made it? Yes, it is a claymation Great Escape with chickens. Great. I don't remember paying super close attention to it when I was a child. I'll say that. Yeah, we had it on VHS and I never watched it. And the clips I saw of it looked boring. So I never engaged. I think that that visual style, uh, I never liked it as a kid. So. <gasps> Aardman is so good, though. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. I was never the biggest Wallace and or Gromit fan. I'm sorry oh, to you, say. You give off huge Wallace energy, though. Huge. I do. I do. I do aspire to Wallace energy these days. Mm, that could be. Maybe I was afraid of what was to come. And another segue. I have been listening to the song These Days by Nico, like Great nonstop. Song. Like I listened to like 10 times this week. I've been out walking. I don't do too much talking these days. It's a great tune. So good. Uh, anyways, wh- how how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm excited to talk about this show. This very good, very very quality, high quality show with you. For it's funny with A to Z, it was like life was pretty good, but we didn't want to talk about the show that much. And <laughs> now with Birds of Prey, life is kind of eh right now. But the show is it slaps. It slaps. Yeah, it fully slaps hard. It's disgustingly good. I love to watch it. You sound like you're being facetious, but you're not. I don't think you are, at least. I'm not. I just can't muster the energy for the sincerity that I feel, if that makes sense. The sincerity energy. Yeah, but I really uh, would like the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Speaking of the slap, they. I'm good. Sorry, let me actually fully answer that question. I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah I've been better. For a second. There is, I feel like this, I've talked to you before how there's been like negative vibes around my like community lately, mm, friends and mm. stuff. And it's like, ugh, whatever. But like, we're hanging out, we're doing things, we're making a good podcast. I'm happy about it. Oh, what can I say? Mm. I told you before the podcast that I did something crazy. I can't tell you on the podcast now that we're actually on the air. So you're going to have to wait another like three hours before I finally tell you what crazy thing I did. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay how about i tell you when i bleep it ready i don't like the bleep sound you use could you use a different sound if you're gonna bleep it yeah i'll use a different sound okay, okay. <laughs> i will use a different sound you got it <laughs> okay yeah what is it oh okay right. the admiral's gonna be happy about that one. Oh, what just make a how i met your mother reference what uh, no, but I did think of how I met your mother when you said the slap. I was just saying something random so that people would have to infer what was bleeped. Oh, yeah, they'll never be able to guess. I don't think they'll be that, able to guess. That was Kyle MacLachlan's character, right? Yeah, it was. No, wild. Who was a along. romantic rival of Ted's. Correct. What a funny show. What a what a time they had. Was it funny? I don't remember. I, I was... you gotta You gotta guess it doesn't age incredibly well. We were talking about it in the Discord recently about how like certain like the barney character is right sort of sort of like like a walter white or a a don draper like if you don't get that they're poking fun at him and you actually like him then the show has failed because he's like reprehensible but he's also lovable yeah i mean the show it's a little different because 
like I don't know because Mad Men and and Breaking Bad explore like the deterioration that those men's lives experience at their own hands. Yeah, but like they made a book, they made a bro code book. Yeah, they knew. Like they were doing that on purpose. They did music videos where where it's like Barney the suits we're mm-hmm. dancing and we love it. I don't mean yeah. to open up like three week old chats discord discourse, but I still think we didn't get Barney when we were younger. Some people did. That's the thing that some people were like, oh, this is a funny character who sucks, and I'm not. I don't stand him. I just think he's a mess and he's funny to to laugh at kind of thing. Yeah, I digress. I want to talk about Birds of Prey now. <laughs> Let's talk about Birds of Prey. So this week we watched two episodes of the show. We watched episodes three and four. First off was Prey for the Hunter and then Three Birds and a Baby. Prey for the Hunter, the story was by Adam Armis and Kay Foster with the teleplay with the teleplay by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. It was directed by Chris Long. It aired on October 23rd, 2002. Alan, what happened in Prey for the Hunter? Just quickly sending you a picture of Adam Armas for your records. In this episode, several metahumans solid. are yes, he's he's he looks solid. In this episode, <laughs> several metahumans are being killed, and it seems they were killed by their own abilities. Yeah. So Sheesh. I am finding the show to be more interesting than I expected week by week because mm. we're getting more serialized elements than I than I anticipated from a show from yeah, 2002. Ag- agreed. Agreed. Like when uh, recent and Huntress are talking, she's like, yeah, I saved your life last time or like recently. And I'm like, oh, my God, you literally did. That's that's continuity <laughs> that happened. Huh? And I don't know. I just figure a show like this that looks like this and feels like this would be very more much more villain of the week. And I'm, I'm yeah. pleasantly surprised with the elements that they're bringing back, like the metahuman lore and the relationship between recent Huntress and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably by 2002 there's a little more of an appetite among TV viewers for this sort of a thing. Um for like you're saying serialized storytelling uh because um because by this point like the shows that are its contemporaries are a bit longer in the tooth and are doing that kind of storytelling. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is it's got to still be on the air at this you know point. Too? Right? Yeah. Hold on. Let me look up when Buffy season seven is. Yeah, Buffy started in ninety seven, so it's it's in its like sixth season or something like that, or its seventh at this point. Season seven premiered September two thousand and two. Yeah. So the model is there for what this looks like. Um yeah. but I think we're we're probably used to watching shows uh that started earlier, uh in the nineties when it was more likely that a show would be episodic. Uh mm-hmm. And I don't think we watch a lot of shows that are like this kind of thing that premiered in in the early aughts, um, which is probably what is influencing that. New podcast idea. We watch instead of Buffy and Angel, we watch Buffy and Buffy season seven and Birds of Prey back to back as the episodes aired. So right <laughs> okay. before this, we would have watched season seven, episode <laughs> five, Selfless. Which uh, one was that? That's a Drew Goddard script because I remember he was writing on that show. Anya seeks vengeance for a wronged college girl and her spell ends in the death of several frat boys. As Anya reconsiders her actions, Buffy realizes she has to take her stand as the slayer and much to the grin of, of much to the chagrin of Xander. Willow re-enrolls at UC Sunnydale and tries to find a more peaceful solution to the... Oh, this is like Anya stuff. 
<laughs> we're over here talking about how Buffy's serialized, and then you start that description with what feels like the most of the week ass thing. He's vengeance for a wrong college girl. Yeah, but I guess then it is, yeah, part of but a that, bigger thing. And that's the style of this type of show right. is you're right. blending stuff. You could jump into Buffy season seven, like oh these episodes are on TV, and eventually you would understand. It's mostly the character dynamics that you would have trouble getting. But right, with this, we have right. such a small cast. I mean, it's really five people between the birds, uh, Harley Quinn and uh, Reese. Reese, I guess. Yeah. That's our. And those Alfred are sometimes sure. Sometimes I don't even know if he's a regular though, or if he's a feature. But let's call yeah. it five regulars, and from there, you everyone else is just who's the Greg this week. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and this episode also conspicuous absence of both Alfred and Harley Quinn from this one yeah i wonder if it was like a crediting thing or time or script writing i don't really know mm. Mm. but we got some great alfred content in the second one so it yeah. made up for it thank god thank the heavens uh our greg this week is a new detective or cop or whatever joining Reese's team as his new partner while his main partner's on vacation mm-hmm. uh i don't even know if we're gonna see that partner again at this point but uh probably not this is detective claude morton uh, who, if people recognize, is played by Joe Flanagan from Stargate, Atlantis specifically. Mm, he's also in oh. SG-1. He's Lieutenant John Shepard. Oh, SG-1. Oh, maybe I did recognize him. Possibly. I don't remember if he was in the one episode of Stargate that we watched. I don't know. He's just got one of those Stargate faces, I guess. Yeah, I actually, I don't sort think he was. a square-jawed guy. He, precisely. Air Force-looking guy. He's got Air Force vibes. And... He gets really bad headaches. We find out pretty quickly this guy's getting headaches because he um, gets them whenever there are metahumans nearby, people with special powers, Um, Mm -hmm. which gives us a little bit of backstory about the metahumans and how all of their powers are unique. This is just an X-Men thing. They went and pulled an X-Men here, guys. And they also went and pulled an X-Files, as you said in your notes. Yeah. I kind of wanted to talk about this like before we get into the character, more characterful stuff. Uh, what I'm really enjoying about Birds of Prey is partly like the artful things that the show itself is doing that we were talking about last week. Um, I think it does the character work for its core ensemble pretty well. Um, but what I also really like about it is it's just such a time capsule for 2002 television and movie storytelling, uh, in a way that is like really fascinating to watch because it's mixing together a few different things. Like Huntress is in this matrix duster all the time. And uh, we've got characters calling each other Mulder Jr. And we're basically doing an X-Files thing where, or we've now done that in a couple, couple weeks in a row. And there's this vibe between Reese and Morton where Morton's like, Oh, I'm going to like, make it all make sense like for some reason the dc universe is a place where we haven't heard about this stuff before or the everyday person doesn't know it and it's like a big secret and they're also like you just said bringing in uh very x-men feeling things of i'm a metahuman and that has these sort of societal ramifications and i wonder how much of that is just there is like there are metahumans in the dc comics universe that operate as like x-men stand-ins kind of things mutant stand-ins and how much of that is birds of prey is a tv show that came out in 2002 and is trying to use like superhero storytelling tropes that the general movie-going populace would have understood 
Um, yeah. But this episode, I didn't necessarily love the plot in and of itself, but I really was interested from like an analytical perspective in dissecting those different different influences and seeing how they show up. I don't know. Did you were you struck by that same mm. vibe or were there kind of like time capsule components to it for you? Yeah, the <clears throat> person stealing powers from other people, that actually does feel more X-Files to me than it does uh like superhero stories. Um, right. I got the vibe it, it is like a very Aussie plot plot line and his reasoning being this kind of like grim dark like i can finally make my pain go away if there are no more metahumans in the world then i won't hurt anymore and i can finally be normal because he has a power that only exists because there are other metahumans and so it's like this logic of like if i get rid of them then i'm powerless that's what i want stay tuned yeah. for the next season of 13 under 13 if you want to be powerless uh -huh. Uh -huh. so i think that's actually like kind of interesting and almost unique in this field it's like the way he wants to get rid of his power but then that just again goes back to like the x-men thing of like are these powers a blessing or a curse? Um, mm -hmm. The part that feels really dated right. to me is more the idea of metahuman as an identity uh, and yeah, what that right. means specifically for Huntress, uh, mm -hmm. who talks about being half metahuman the way that people talk about being like bi. And also they literally make a comment when she's in that bar that's full of metahumans or someone she says to Dinah, like, go enjoy your metahuman pride parade and it's like guys mm. you're doing the you're doing the queerness metaphor and then also right. isn't this one where she talks to oracle and says like people aren't trying to kill people like you they're trying to kill metahumans and like this show is not equipped to talk about the like discrimination of disabled people and it just feels mm -hmm. very weird that they they paid lip service to it and then just have that be an excuse for the two of them to not be talking for the rest of the episode it's really weird all of the metaphor stuff they're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. It is strange. Um, and they kind of, you know, when it's functioning within that larger metaphor, it's really not working. And there's also, I think an interpersonal thing between Huntress and Reese that works well enough because where they end up is Morton, who is, turns out he's the bad guy. He's, he's kind of pouring acid in, uh, or poison in, uh, Reese's ear. Like, don't trust Huntress. You don't know what her deal is. Maybe she's the bad guy, whatever. And it brings Reese to this point where, and Huntress reflects this back at him. She says, like, when we first met, you asked who I was. And, like, just now you asked, asked me him. what I was. Mm -hmm. um, and that, like, I think that works for me. I like that. But also in, like you're saying, this larger kind of clunkier metaphor where... It's like, what is metahuman a stand-in for? It's it's messy. And I think that's a problem that's plagued X-Men storytelling for forever, right? Yeah, Where different X-Men stories or storytellers have tried to, like, make having a superpower at birth be a stand-in for race or for gender or for sexuality or for religious affiliation. And they're like, just isn't quite a one-to-one -one comparison that works that way for for this sort of a thing exactly um yeah so it, it definitely is not the show to go for for like allegory <laughs> but uh i Which, do think the show is pretty good at those like kind of quippy one-liners that get characters to efficiently explain like here's how i feel as a person about yes. this relationship that we're in 
Right. And it also is reflected in, like, the show just has, like, the ideas of of show, things that would go on to be, like, fleshed out and become more fascinating in other shows. Like, No Man's Land, a bar that's metahumans only. And mm-hmm. it's, like, No Man's Land, cute name, first of all. Very much like a, did you guys pull this from a comic book kind of thing? Uh, mm-hmm. We learn about Gibson. We learn the bartender who can make ice and then he gets killed. It's, like, if they had way more time, I would want to see a ton of No Man's Land. And, like, yeah. how, what's your business model? How do you guys keep this place hidden besides just, like, it's in a back alley? Uh, really interesting stuff that's just, like, briefly shown, and then we don't get enough time to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Gibson, the, the proprietor of No Man's Land, uh, is introduced in this very strange scene where uh, Huntress is, like, sitting somewhere, and this guy is trying to presumably, like, sell something to her, but he remembers her because he has perfect photographic memory, and he says, oh, I can smell you. I remember your smell without seeing you. And you're like, okay, this is, like, a creepy incel weirdo guy. And then it turns out, no, he's actually just a good friend who runs this this fun bar. And I love a fun bar. Let me see more of the No Man's Land. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're clearly laying foundation and giving themselves some settings that they can return to later, which uh, is fun. It's their their bronze, I guess. Exactly. Um, the show's so buffy <laughs> when it's at its best. Ugh. Yeah, it is extremely buffy when it's at its best. Uh, it's just it's it's also interesting to me. All the the metahuman stuff is so core to this episode. And it also now is making me wonder, like, is Catwoman superhuman in the comics? I guess it depends on the canon thing. Because I like I never would have thought to associate that with Catwoman. And maybe I just don't really have a good schema for like what different power sources look like in various DC universes. But uh, they've definitely made it a point to, in this canon, say Catwoman is a metahuman, Huntress is half metahuman. That's mm-hmm. a thing that matters. We're building a world around it. Um, and I think they're making interesting choices in terms of settings and these side characters. And it gives them a lot of a lot to play with. Um, yeah. But as someone who is like very minimally familiar with the DC universe... I don't know, and maybe people can let us know. I don't know to what extent they're drawing from like a particular set of source materials, or they're kind of like, ah, let's, you know, do like a mutant version of this because that's kind of what's in right now, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting to me. Yeah, but I, I did uh, like the bar stuff a lot. That was fun. From my research, it seems like Catwoman actually has powers in the Schumacher movies. They explicitly say that those are powers. Whereas uh, in the comics, it's always been she's just a trained acrobat. So got that, it. So they're kind of vibing off of that depiction. Yes, super cool, right? Interesting. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen them, I've seen clips of them. The Schumacher Batman movies are like silly. So we should watch this, them. We should on watch the them. Patreon or something. That's a great idea. Um, th- uh, what's it called? The scene in this episode where. Uh, Morton is explaining to Reese, like, yeah, so there was this guy like eight or nine years ago, eight or nine years ago. You'll never believe this, but he would turn. He was a bat. He would like dress as a bat and he would fight crime. Uh And Uh Reese is like, what? What what do they call him? He's like, well, they called him Batman. And he's like, shut the fuck up. That's not possible. Anyways, last week I saw a man turn into water in front of my eyes. uh, Uh And there's a woman who disappears in front of me every single night. So... Uh, a Batman, that's a little far-fetched. And 
Also, that was eight years ago. Like, what yeah. are you saying, Reese? What I'm getting at is that it's, it's interesting that um these, like, silly, silly superhero movies exist in the same universe as fairly down-to-earth Birds of Prey. Right. Somewhat. Yeah, and, th- and that's also an interesting world choice uh, that we're going to make this a world without... Like, we're going to make this a Batman world without Batman to the extent that people have forgotten who Batman is. Because nine years is a while, but also Reese is old enough that if Batman was as big as Batman is, he would uh-huh. know who Batman is, you know? Right. Uh, so that's a that's an intriguing choice that they're making this, like you said, a grounded, very low, low power DC universe that yes. is also like low superhero profile. Um, uh-huh. And it's just intriguing, like when you're doing superhero storytelling in fiction like this, uh, how you kind of set those parameters. Because we're now in an environment, uh, superhero media-wise, where like people aren't doing that. I mean, I haven't seen the the Robert Pattinson Batman. I don't know if that's like that or what. It's not. But it's pretty great. <laughs> it's definitely it's gritty AF. Yeah. Uh, but there's definitely not going to be a Marvel movie where like you know your average person in New York City nine years later is like. So there used to be this guy who was big and green and turned and like <laughs> what around. would happen is their friend would be like, bro, are you talking about the Hulk? Yeah. I know who the Hulk is. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, because that's what the Marvel that's what the Marvel movies do is that they're the opposite of this. They're deeply obsessed yeah. with the canon and with everybody knowing who all these heroes are, which is fine. Because right. I mean, that's that's actually kind of realistic. Like people know who Bruce Banner is, who the Hulk is. But yeah. in this, it feels like what they're pulling from specifically is like really ridiculous canon and they they aren't married to it, but when they reference it, it's really fun. Yeah. Um, well, because I think what's... Uh, this is my last thought on this. Uh, is it feels like in the Marvel era, superheroes are so intricately tied to celebrity um, yeah. in, the, in the real world that they have to be celebrities in the fictional world mm-hmm. it feels like and we're like not telling stories about them when they're not even if the the person behind the mask is not the hero themselves is like they are a widely known famous figure mm-hmm. um which is that's interesting to me too i appreciate just having being able to have a slightly nuanced conversation about the marvel cinematic universe by the way because mm-hmm. I've just been recently getting so tired of critics, whether they're for TV or film or whatever, just like media critics who who brush off the Marvel movies as like worthless plagues on cinema and have nothing to mm-hmm. say about them that's productive. Because like I do think that they've done really harmful things to the way that we make movies and what are, is successful at the movies. I do think that they're derivative and kind of boring. And also you, you can't keep pretending that they're not important like and that they define right, a lot of culture. important. Yeah. yeah. So whenever I hear, just like to to rant for a sec, like whenever I hear people be like, "Oh, it looks like a fucking Marvel movie. It's like lazy." Because it's like, yeah, they don't. It's because they don't pay their CG people enough, and they trap themselves in this release schedule, and that's why they look like that. It's not like lazy creative decisions. It's it's all you know, capitalist. I'm speaking. Right. Like I I right. understand the frustration with it, but I wish that people would also approach them as works of like art and works of media that actually, even though they're they're pull like a what am I trying to say? They're works of capitalism. They're like capitalist art, basically. Yeah, I think I think what you're kind of saying is like they can be mediocre and still be significant. And yes. like that's something worth considering. Yeah, especially if you want to be a well-rounded critic. That's all I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, um, 
I I didn't appreciate the the slander of schools that happened in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but the best thing was when the high school, and then they call her, th- they call Dinah, the- you're talking about the scene with Dinah in high school, right? Um, I'm talking about when Dinah's like snuck out and Huntress is like, why are you in oh. school or whatever? And she's like, I don't need school. I'm going to be a superhero. Uh, and, I'm going to uh, be an influencer. And, and Huntress <laughs> is like, <laughs> yeah, Huntress is like, yeah, I mean, school is like a horrible institutional whatever. It's a legal prison. You make a good point. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, like the closest thing that everybody goes through to a maximum security prison or whatever she says. Right. Um, it's like, all right, <laughs> got it. Inappropriate. No, the other funny stuff is that they, they try to do Buffy. They try to put Buffy in Birds of yeah. Prey to the point where yeah. my roommate actually watched the second episode this week with me. And the second he saw Dinah, without me opening my mouth, he goes, why are they just do- why- that's Buffy, right? Like they're just doing yeah. a Buffy thing. And I was like, you know what? You're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, his other comment was that the show is quote unquote lit like one of those old shows, <laughs> which is so funny. It is. It, it is. is. <laughs> it super is. <laughs> the moment where Dinah walks into the high school. Yeah. Uh, I was like, man, this show is from the turn of the millennium. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what it. that is, but there's something about like. Okay, this is a set. This is not a real high school. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But it feels like a soundstage. It feels like they put the lights right outside the doors to create this effect. Uh, yeah. It's it's very kind of... There's a unreality to it that definitely feels of that time. It's it's a different type of lighting that came with network television. That became associated with network television for a while. And almost like... It makes things look really cheap. Sometimes it makes the sets look really cheap. It's what I'm calling the, I, scr- the scrub season eight lighting. Well, and I wonder if this is like an early or is this HD? Like, is this an early no, HD thing? No way. No. I mean, the scrub season eight thing is because they were in HD. That's why. Because yeah. they were on ABC. But that's in 2009. This is in 2002. So they were not in HD. Oh, yet. Okay. Okay. Um, I wonder if the show is attempting to be future proof or something, though. But it looks weird. I think it just looks like yeah. a soap opera. You, people should watch more soap operas. That's my pre-chatsum. Sure. Week. Sure. Um, but yeah, all the high school stuff is basically she feels weird and isolated because she mentions being from a rural town that invented zippers and people go, oh, you're the zipper girl. Like, they're not actually that mean to her. It's a little inappropriate to be like, you're the zipper girl. <laughs> but like one girl says that and just goes like, huh, nice joke. And then another girl goes like, dude, what the fuck? And it's like, <laughs> this is not the high school nerd story where like everyone's mean to her for like unfair reasons. It's like. It's what it's what a uh, huntress tells her later, where she's like, "Everybody who's new is weird until you're not. Yeah. Just just stick around, and you'll they won't think you're weird anymore." Because she's like traditionally attractive, has no indication that she's a nerd, has like nothing that that would put her down in a high school clique environment. She looks like one of the popular girls, right? She looks like one of the friends and mean girls or something. Of yeah, the, one of the it's, mean girls. It's giving Regina George. Just say it. Yeah, it's give it's giving it's giving uh the one girl. Who's who are her friends? She's the one friend uh-huh. who's like blonde. That's Regina George. No, I know who Regina George is. <laughs> it's her friend. Amanda Seyfried. One of the character? other mean girls. Yeah. Karen yeah, yeah, Smith. Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Um Oh my god. I know something. who Regina George is. I know. Uh, you're saying something I wanted to respond to. And now She's one of the popular girls. She's one of the popular girls. Yep. Oh, uh, 
the and the thing that you know that it speaks to is ultimately it's not about like the most harmful simple thing that can happen to a teenager is just like the act of reducing them to one thing right yes, yes. because it's like but i'm a person i'm trying to understand who i am and become somebody and and like you put me down to one thing no that. way and now i'm the zipper girl and like there's nothing nothing worse than this mm-hmm. for a for a teen so that felt uh that felt real like a realistic thing that teenagers would do to each other for sure for sure yeah um do you have any three notes on this episode um well there's the barbara thing which barbara thing so the was wade oh yeah good job good job good job good job uh who i keep thinking this guy is played by greg kinnear every time he comes into the screen (laughs) and turns his head i'm like is that greg oh never mind no it's not greg kinnear so wade brixton yeah decides to invite barbara to dinner with his parents yes and there's this exchange where she says like what if they you know judge me or don't accept me and um she's speaking about her disability there um which is also kind of like combining with her secret life as a as oracle it feels like that's in the air too so there's another moment where the show is kind of like strangely tying those things together yeah um and he's like ah well you're so great like let's do it and then as far as we could tell and we tried to skim back through the episode we don't, we don't see, see that scene where they go to dinner. Yeah. We just see, you said you found a scene where Barbara's talking about it later, right? Yeah. She's telling, uh, she's telling Huntress later. Cause Huntress is like, like, I don't need your help, whatever. Finding this guy who's taking people's powers. Uh, I'm, I'm the one like, we're the ones who are at risk. And she's like, I want to help you. We're all together. And she's like, you don't have powers though. You're not, they're not trying to kill people like you looks at Oracle who's in a wheelchair Look and then Oracle looks back at her and goes, "I just visited, uh, you know, Greg Kinnear's parents, and they said the I forget the line exactly, but it's fucked up. It's like they think that I'm less of a woman because I'm I'm missing my legs or something like that. Like it's just gross. Yeah. And it's see, just, I I think yeah. I think it's better that they don't show that. I would rather she tell them about it than us see it." Because mm-hmm. it gives it the feeling of like sometimes in life when like really bad things like that happen to you, they're so weird that you don't think about them until somebody asks you, mm-hmm. and you get the feeling from uh, Dina Meyer's performance that she like has been trying to not think about that, and she's like, "All right, you know what? The fuck happened to me recently? This happened," and it's like this yeah. big drop moment. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not new this week to say that the show is handling the disability conversation really poorly. Um, like extremely, extremely poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to overly repeat that. It's on the page. Uh, but it's just like, what what were we trying to get out of this? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, now I'm confused about the purpose of the plot because it feels like it's just meant to remind us of Barbara's disability in the way that the show wants to portray it. Uh, and then the plot kind of ends. Like she doesn't talk to Wade again, right? Nope. Nope. So I don't know. Maybe they're gonna do something with it in a couple episodes. They don't talk about it in the next episode. Yeah. It's just so so strange. 
uh, on top of being terrible. <laughs> um, but I do, I do think that's an interesting read on it. This sort of like, well, this incredibly harmful thing was said to me and I'm still dissociating from it. And exactly. that's where I'm at. Um, so I, I, that read I, I like, uh, but I don't have a lot of faith in the show to do the next step of, of that process. Yeah. And I think I, I want her to end up with Wade. I want her to be happy with someone. And he's a teacher yeah. at her school. Like that's, that's a classic plot line. Right. But this, if this is how it ends and that's like really a letdown. Oh, his parents were weird. And they don't, it, it's not going to be, I don't think this is going to be how it ends, but I want to yeah. see the conversation with him, with the two of them. And she's like, Hey, if we're going to be together, you need to either talk to your parents or we need to accept that I'm never going to get their approval or something. I don't know. Right. Because that's also what straw men parents you've created. Exactly. They're not on screen. They, She's like, they're going to say the worst possible thing. He's like, no, they're not. Later we see her. She says, they said yeah, the worst possible it. thing that I exactly expected. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I that abstractly sucks mm -hmm. you have not rendered human characters that have said those things and so you're not saying something i guess yeah. that's kind of where i'm at with it true um yeah but overall an okay episode and it concludes with yeah uh, morton jumping off of a building because if i can't kill all the metahumans i'll kill me yeah <laughs> rest in peace so part later where dinah's like I, I think about gibbs i think about him a lot uh morton and like what he what he was hurting so much anyways he's dead now <laughs> it's just like <laughs> okay well that it's basically a, like that was weird kind of yeah plot. yeah i want to see Let's a funeral for that janitor one, yeah. huh i want to see a funeral for that janitor who'd shoot fire out of his hands yeah that's all i got you said you want to talk about ne the next one yeah let's talk about the next one okay can i give you a stray note really quick yeah i have three can you believe this i'm the one with the stray notes what's going on Minor quick. Number one, how am I supposed to meet a regular guy when I'm spending all my evenings body slamming scumbags? Relatable. Normal thing to say. Number two, Mr. Morton is from Bloodhaven, which is New Jersey in the DC Comics world. And that's also where Nightwing went after Batman died. Pause for audience applause. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! Thank you. Finally, <laughs> at the bar, the or the drink that, uh, or, uh, that Huntress orders is a vodka on the rocks. Which, like, that's gross, bud. Just, like, a cold vodka with nothing in uh -huh. it? Uh -huh. I don't know. But it's cool that the guy can freeze the glass. That's fun. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a joke in that episode of Mad Men I was telling. I told John before the episode that I was watching Mad Men. And Peggy goes on, like, an awkward date. And one of her openers to, like, start a conversation is he's holding a glass of, like, of, like whiskey. And she's like, I went to a restaurant recently and they had chilled glasses. He goes, cool. <laughs> Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really bad day. Uh, Madman. Anyways, let's talk about the second one. We'll be right back, folks, after this brief musical break to return to New Gotham City in our discussion of three birds and a baby. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Chats of Prey. Ah! I'm still Alan, and ah! he's still Magellan. <laughs> you want me to do pterodactyl noise? Huh? You want me to do pterodactyl noise? That was last week that we talked about that? Yes. Yeah, I yes. do. Yeah, I do. You got to set me up for it. 
Uh, come on, do the pterodactyl noise, please. No, guys, please. I don't want to do it. You can't make. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god, that, the waveform. That has that energy of uh that old meme where it's like the car is going around the mountain pass and then the scary face jumps out at you. Oh my god. You know yeah, what I'm know. talking about? I do like the old lady or whatever. This is like crusty, crusty web 2.0 stuff yeah. we're talking about here. Like or er, er 1.0. Whatever web that was. 1.5. It was Parker. crusty. And I remember my stepdad got me with that one. Scary. Uh, also Very scary. Classic. Three birds and a baby. This episode was written by Julie Hess and David H. Goodman. Goodman. He's directed by Craig Zisk, and it aired the day before Halloween, 2002, October 30th. Whoa. Wait, how old was I? Hold on. Eight years old? Majel, what happened in this episode? In this episode, Dr. Quinzel's sweet little baby killing machine. <laughs> you know what's funny? Is we thought that it was a baby killing machine. For sale, baby killing machine never <laughs> I interpreted it as a machine that kills babies, but it is in fact a baby that kills like oh, a machine would. I don't and think I interpreted it like that, but I like that interpretation. You interpreted it as a baby, baby that was a killing machine? Because here's this is look at the notes. That's baby killing, baby hyphen killing machine. Ah. Uh, Sure, that makes a lot of sense. This episode Sweet does little as well. Baby killing. Doctor Quinzel. Doctor Quinzel's sweet little baby killing machine flies off to the bird's nest, where Huntress tries to wean him off his diet of mayhem. That is a weird summary. Can I give a better yeah. summary? Yeah, you can. Okay, Huntress is fighting bad guys. Uh, one of them makes a woman drop her baby. She catches the baby and decides to name him Guy for some reason. Uh, she raises the baby. We find out in the background that this is Dr. Quinzel's genetically altered baby that's going to grow up to become a cool assassin. The birds don't know this, so they raise it like a child, like in a three men and a baby riff, except it's three lesbians and a baby. Uh, the baby turns out every time it goes to sleep, it gets older uh, and it's going to die in like 10 days. So they're trying to figure out how to stop that. They're unable to stop it. They never figure out that it's hers. And she never figures out that they took it. Sad. And uh, uh, we learn a lot about Huntress wanting to be a mom and wondering, wanting like a parental figure and empathizing a lot with a guy, even when he's a child and up, and up until he's like a full adult. Mm -hmm. And we get a really sad but terrible CG scene where he dies. It's kind of it's yeah. pretty like good and weird, which is so yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's always great when you're watching a show like this and this is episode four and you're like, all right. You've you've got a few in the tank that are gonna get, be be pretty wacky, and I respect that for sure. You, if you can do this, you can do whatever the heck you want. Yeah, the baby, the reverse Benjamin Button, absolutely great. Um, yeah, <clears throat> jumping, go. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you. <laughs> I heard you breathe. I knew you had something. <laughs> This is podcaster brain at its fucking worst, man. I'm gonna oh do that. In a, I'm gonna do that in a real life conversation where I'm trying to talk and the other person's gonna breathe and I'm gonna go, 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 go. This is the equivalent of like having. Okay, I've been watching so much, so much YouTube basketball content. I do not watch basketball. 
Yeah. But I get so much stuff about it on YouTube and I just watch all of it. And now I know all this basketball stuff. Yeah. And I was getting teased today by my co-teacher and my students because I said something about it's a long story. Anyway, they were like, oh, you actually, you must actually watch basketball. I was like, no, no, I don't. Um, but what you just did was the like podcast equivalent of having court vision. <laughs> like <laughs> you have really, really good podcast IQ. Uh, or that you're or like, Batman detective vision. Oh, throw, throw it to the Arkham. I was playing Spider-Man games. on PS5 recently. And my, my roommate was like, is this Batman? What I bought was- Spider-Man for my Steam Deck. But Ooh. I also bought uh, NBA 2K23, and I only had space for one. So <laughs> Man, it's up to you to guess which later. one. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I did have something to say, actually. Thanks for passing it to me. Thanks for the assist, as they say. Let me catch the rebound uh, off of our uh, our bit over here. Um. Anyway, so, yeah, the first episode we watched this week, I'm going to be honest. I didn't want to say this in the discussion. I didn't want to be too down on it. But I watched it and I was like, Ugh, did we make a mistake oh my <laughs> by, God. by watching Birds of Prey? Not like a huge mistake, but like, it are, is this it? Like, did we see what the show has to offer was kind of my worry. It was like you um, plan a day trip with your partner and you get all the stuff ready and you sleep well the night before and then you get there and there's nothing to do and you're like, huh. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's and the And you're whole like, day. God, the, the picture seems so good or the brochure was so promising or whatever. <laughs> so I was worried that that was the situation we'd found ourselves in. But this episode, uh, you know, it, made, it taught me how to love again. I, I was so pleased with how how strange this was and how earnest it was. Oh, my Earnest. Gosh. It is. How, how could there ever be a new tv show again in our lives that does a plot where it's like hey this baby's gonna get old real fast and boy we are sad about it gosh that's such a real bummer right you just can't do that anymore and i loved i loved it yeah it, it's a very earnest episode the sun also rises on the day that uh huntress finds a baby in uh an alleyway in a classic like crime movie plot line and uh, eventually he turns into an old man in the sea i'm fucking cringing at my own jokes i'm so sorry okay i cringed it out i un- i released the cringe i made a really cool face and noise there anyways uh-huh. <laughs> genetically engineered baby Magellan. do you like that part where uh, they aren't sure if it's a man or a lady, and they look, they find out, and they're like, "Ah, oh, wait, we're making this like, no, we can't decide what pronouns we're gonna use." And so they like lift the baby's diaper and look at its genitals, and they're like, "Oh, it's a boy." <sighs> Gender has arrived at Birds of Prey it, Studios. It, it's like even worse than that because, I mean, there's so much gender in this episode. There's so much of it. Yeah, it's. We're doing stuff with womanhood and motherhood and babies, and we talk about biological clocks. And Mr. J and I were we were gonna. I don't even think she says it's Mr. J. She calls him the Joker. Yeah. Joker and I were gonna have a baby. But my green eyes, his green hair, pretty funny. Um. So this episode is like steeped in the in the gender stuff, uh, and 
the line here is they're calling the baby it. Mm-hmm. And nobody told them that they can just say they. We've got one for this yeah. situation. Like, Well, they didn't have one. It's O2. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. But like by that point, I don't think it was a totally inconceivable concept that you could use a singular they for sure i don't know anyway um but they're like it 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 and then dinah says like i don't remember the exact line but she's like let's not commit any more pronoun uh cruelty or something like that and it's like whoa (laughs) hold on sorry ring 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 20 years in the future those words would mean something vastly different now. Exactly. Uh, what a what a moment! Um, it's just weird and, to start you know, with this scene and be like, or not start, but it's like one of the first chill scenes of the episode. And you're like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, and I speak it. I speak it, and I think it speak it, it speaks it speaks to this weird thing that is still true about the gender politics of our society, which is like people's insatiable hunger to gender babies as Uh soon as possible yes and the like and this obviously goes far beyond the show and what it's doing in this scene and you know to be charitable like you're saying there's about two decades of discourse that Mm -hmm. we have experienced that the show has not um but yeah just this like this relief that they experience being like ah someone now there's a gender we can assign here. Yeah, finally. Someone has to take the plunge, if only to stop the rampant pronoun abuse. Pronoun abuse. That's what it was. Wow. Wow. That's a pretty lady right there. No, that's... It's a boy. And the scene is weird. Mm-hmm. And we're just pointing out that it's weird. Uh, yeah. But this, also, this episode's also playing with gender in other ways, right? This is a classic, the movie, Three Men and a Baby. But now it's Three Women and a Baby. Mm-hmm. And it is doing a metaphor... In an even more heavy-handed way than last episode, but I'm kind of okay with it here because this is a class. This is like archetypical, right? It's it's basically mm-hmm. letting mm-hmm. Huntress have motherhood, have parenthood, uh, without yeah. having to like do what you know, even literally Buffy and Angel would do, which is like we put a baby in a woman. Instead, it's mm-hmm. just like here's a child. It is your responsibility to take care of it. You can give it the childhood that you never got to have. And she's like, oh, I'm going to be loving, nice, and I'm going to play with him, and I'm going to love him so much. We named the baby Guy because we're not mm-hmm. creative or whatever. She's like, it's he's a, it's a he, whatever. It's a guy. And from her perspective, this is great. Like I said, she gets to do all the stuff that she never got to do. It's very cute. The baby only seems to like her, so he instantly cracks her uh, hard exterior and manages to make her very like fall in love with this child. Mm-hmm. And then things start to accelerate, obviously. This genetically engineered baby has a thing where every time it sleeps, it ages about seven or eight years. And mm-hmm. the metaphor here is, for, like I said, very obvious. It's my baby feels like he's growing in front of me. Mm-hmm. I think Alfred makes this completely explicit later when he's like, it's already too fast by normal normal standards. And yeah. now you guys are going to lose this child in about 10 days. That's like really sad. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is played with the right amount of weight. Right. Like, this is sad. The scene where they're in the park and she's like, you know, you are like me. You have, you have the ability to be a warrior, but I don't want you to be a bad person. Yeah. Even though it seems like you're destined to be based on what we're learning, that you you were trained to be an assassin. 
and yeah. I want you to be better than that. It's like, oh man, Prince of Prey, you managed to do it. In yeah. 40 minutes, you managed to take this kid's storyline and do what Angel had to do with Connor over the course of like three seasons or whatever. Oh my goodness. I also just thought about Connor. And they did they did it in one episode. It's impressive. Legitimately. It's Yeah, like, it's it's a tight little thing they're doing here. And it leads to like a bunch of fight scenes at the end where we get adult uh guy beating up tough people, bad guys. He almost tries to fight um, Huntress when he gets programmed to be an evil man. And then we get him. What they really wanted to get to was the CG showcase. Instead of we cut away and it's a different actor, like in the rehearsal. Now we keep the camera on him in his dying days as he keeps falling asleep and waking up 10 years older, 10 years older. Oh, God, he's dead. And that scene looks like garbage. (laughs) It looks so it's um it's like that TikTok filter where it's like which Disney character do you look like and you take a picture and then it like morphs your face into like Gaston mm-hmm. from Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. It's basically that quality, but the emotional weight of it still worked for me, which goes to show that CG doesn't have to match up as long as there's an emotional weight behind it. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty easy to let that slide because of uh you're invested in like what's actually going on narratively, which is like this dude is about to die. Uh, and that, that worked for me. And, and I liked how the, you know, on, on one level, the, uh, <laughs> it's not much of a metaphor to be like you raising this child very quickly is a metaphor for you raising a child. Like that yeah. is not necessarily but what i like about the rapid aging thing is it it constantly is repositioning um huntress in yes the, her arc in this episode because at first she's like making this decision as a caretaker okay i'm gonna like kind of reiterating the conversation that she and barbara had in one of the previous episodes about like what are we doing here? Do we take people in? You know, what's our role with uh, those who have been abandoned in ways that, that Huntress was by the mm-hmm. world. Um, and so we kind of like re hit that beat again in a way that I think is helpful and is like really good serialized character work. Um, and then the kid uh, guy ages rapidly so that we can get him to the like angsty teenager zone right. to hit Huntress's like well I'm kind of angsty like that too and now I have <laughs> to like butt up against this guy and and change and, and make some realizations about myself and then he becomes really old once he's like learned the lesson of the arc and is like imparting the wisdom upon her that she has created through this relationship with him. Mm -hmm. So I just like the way that him aging, it's like corny, but it also is part of the character stuff that's happening in this episode, as opposed to like when they do this sort of thing in that one TNG episode. Cause I was telling you before you watched it, that this is like, Three Men and a Baby meets that episode where Troy has a baby from TNG. Yeah. <laughs> and that episode is just like, ah, this kid's getting old. Whoa, boy. Um, I don't think it quite weaves that 
sci-fi concept into the actual character growth that happens. Um, and I think this episode actually does a really good job of of doing that. And then they play play your heartstrings a little with like, here's the cupcake with the candle that's sitting on his chest as he's dying, and here's a close up of Huntress sad, and then we blow out the candle in the final shot, and it's like, all right, you got me. That mm-hmm. yeah, that worked for me. So I and like that's it. the thing. What differentiates this from the child, the TNG episode, is it's not forcing woman like motherhood on these people in that way of like focusing on the pregnancy and focusing on the like everyone else is not no one is telling these the birds of prey like you guys are crazy for thinking this like alfred is fully fucking bought in he's like all right it sucks it's gonna be dead in like 10 days whatever but let's raise him while we can and do our best they they don't come to that realization they just that's how they start i mean it's like 30 years on or whatever 20 something years on from that episode but there's still you see progress you know that's why that's something i like to focus on it's like yeah we joke about the pronoun stuff at the beginning of this one from now, how it's different from how we talk now, but this is also miles above a like pretty rough episode of Star Trek that we, mm-hmm. uh, a show that we generally love. So, right, right. Um, Alfred does have that line where he's like, Oh, I'm a butler, but I'm not a nanny. And it's like, All right, buddy, relax. Let's replace him, Mr. Sheffield. The Mr. Nanny. Sheffield. Pretty. No, I don't want to lie to you. Well, we've but literally listen. done this interaction, and then you did yours, and yours is better. And everyone loves wine. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not going to. I'm not. But Mr. Sheffield. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and go. And nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I refuse. Uh, fuck. What else is there to talk about? Oh, there's a little bit more Reese, um, Huntress stuff here. Just a teensy bit. Yeah, um, the lightest little skosh of it, just well, to just to do that. The weird scene where she does the autopsy on the dead mom, and she has a scanner that has a pocket knife in it. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roommate watched this one with me, as I mentioned, and he popped the fuck off when uh, Reese was on screen because he used to watch Criminal Minds. He was like, "That's okay. the 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 fart face from Criminal Minds." I'm sorry, I don't watch that show, guys. I don't go here, as they say. Yeah, that's whatever. They're they're continuing to be a thing. They're gonna they're gonna lean further into it later. Uh, there's some good action scenes before guy dies when he's a teenager. We get a little bit of him being the Connor from Angel thing, of like I fight too, and I'm gonna beat up my beat up the bad guys. He saves the day briefly too, which is fun. And Harley Quinn continues to be the absolute most extra character on this fucking show. I love her. She's fun. She's violent. Yeah. She literally says. Uh, she says, like, I'm a bit, what is it? Like, I'm a businesswoman. Oh, I may look like the ultimate career woman, which is what that's a 2002 <laughs> girl boss to me. <laughs> yeah. I also love the line where she says, I designed this child to like go through a whole life cycle in three days. So it's the ultimate child for your modern <laughs> career woman or modern businesswoman or whatever. Exactly. That was. That's fun. She's talking um, to a guy named Melfin in that. It, that is the guy. Mm-hmm. It's our second Breaking Bad cameo. Who's that? He, um, that actor is in Breaking Bad. I don't remember. He's one of um, Jesse's friends, if I remember correctly. Mm, okay. I can, I can triple check that. But I definitely saw him and I was like, I think that guy's from Breaking Bad. And I confirmed that it was true. I, I will never get tired of watching Mia Sarah kick the shit out of a brand new random dude every time <laughs> Harley Quinn's turn to be on the seat. The like, next snap at the end is so sick. She got like two or three of these just like nothing dudes 
to berate and intimidate and kill. And yes. I honestly am a huge fan of it. Uh, yes, she at the, the she's playing with them. She's toying with them. It's very silly. I have no complaints. Uh, yeah, these that actor plays Kenny in Breaking Bad, who's in uh the gang. I think at the end of the show, he's one of the like white power people. Oh, okay. I don't know why I remembered him. That maybe he just has like one of those faces. But that's where I know him from. Is Kenny in Breaking Bad? Anyways, mm. me and Sarah for all of the Emmy Awards. Please, 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 beating up dudes. Being a girl boss, the line, my biological clock is ticking and it's a bomb, is amazing. You guys, who wrote that? Who do I go to? Who, 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 Julie Hess, David H. Goodman. Good job. Both of you. Whoever wrote yeah. that line specifically, 10 points on the board right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the, the line that guy says when he dies, I wish for you to be happy because that's what you gave me. And she like bites her lip all emotional like, and you're like, damn, did Red the Prey just like do an emotional ploppy? <laughs> right. What's going on? The answer is that Ashley Scott's a good actress. Yeah, she is. Uh, yes. That's all. What I do have. you think? It it feels like they're centering her a bit as like the main character. I don't know if I'm wrong in that that feeling. Were you getting that vibe? Definitely from well, obviously from this episode because it's about her. But and I feel the like previous one kind of centered her too a bit. Yeah, well, right now she's the only one with her romance. Well, a like successful romance. Uh-huh. Uh, she is the like person you put on the front of the. She's on the posters. She's mm-hmm. the like sexy, and she's the one who does the action movie stuff. So it it mm-hmm. leads it leads to believe that in season one of your new action show, you're going to lead with the action hero, and the other two girls mm-hmm. are going to be kind of to the to the side i mm. think they gave themselves enough runway to do more with the other two in future seasons yeah. i just don't think that they've had time to do they're not doing anything with them right now yeah that makes sense but i agree it's like kind of the huntress show yeah. and i keep and i feel bad because i keep forgetting her real name helena 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 thank you <laughs> straight notes on uh, three men and a baby i mean um three birds and a baby the action was actually pretty fun yeah and like kind of inventive they're doing this playground thing and the seesaws get involved i was like oh this is actually kind of good i like this which i wasn't expecting so that was cool and yeah, you know work. we still got our matrix duster we're doing kicks and flips and stuff i mean who, who's gonna hate who's gonna hate that it's it's funny to me because i was just watching the new mandalorian episode this morning and modern tv has this curse where they don't like to light dark scenes at all the thing is you can light a dark scene and make it totally legible and let's still understand that it's dark right there's a scene where they go underwater and it's like you can barely see a single thing and i'm watching on a 4k television and then i, yeah. I go over to birds of prey and there's a fight scene happening at night, and I can see everything, and I know what's going on. And I'm like, yeah, what the that's fuck? such a good, that's such a good point. Yeah. Why did we, why did we forget how to do this? Yeah. I think somebody I I uh, spoke to said that part of the reason is that they they make TV and movies now on like they edit it on like really nice screens in ideal conditions, mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. so they don't know they don't work on your TV. That's why, but it could be uh, other things. Interesting. I don't know. But yeah, I agree. The fight scenes were pretty dope. Anything else? I think that's the big stuff for me in this one. 
it is a straightforward episode. It's yeah, fun. but it's so fun. It's yeah. just so campy and heartfelt. Such a nice combination. Yeah. Really glad we're watching this one. It was it was refreshing. Yeah. Especially yeah. after the like kind of middling first episode this week. It was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Agreed. I want more Dinah. I think Dinah is due for our whole plot line. Well, actually, yeah. we're getting her next week. So I just remembered. Okay. We're getting a bunch That's... of Dinah stuff next week. What's uh, the next week episodes? So I'm glad you asked. Next week on Chats of Prey, the Chatsbirds are taking a look at Sins of the Mother, season one, episode five. Another bird, Black Canary, flies home to the nest and happens to be Dinah's mother. Well, okay. Well, the comics would have spoiled that for you, but I was right. Sorry. As Mama Bird and her her chick try to get reacquainted, Mr. Hawk comes hunting for the canary. Okay. Hmm. It's bird time, y'all. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, great. Sins of the mother. Also, mm, there's something else I know about that episode I'll tell you off here. That's kind of going to be kind of fun. Next, we're watching Primal Scream next week. Working with her favorite detective. It's, it's, it's Reese. Working with her favorite detective, Huntress goes undercover, struggling. I'm not going to read the rest of the summary because it spoils Sins of the Mother. Okay. Interesting. So Sins of the Mother is going to be a big episode. Wow. Okay. Sure. Birds yeah. of Prey. Have a I, big episode. I want a Dinah episode. They said, here you go. Here's a whole Dinah episode. Um, great. All right. I can't wait. Magellan, for now, where can people find you on the podcast here? You can listen to me on another podcast called Super Smash Echoes that I do with my friend Justin, where we play video games related to the Super Smash Brothers franchise. So check it out, Super Smash Echoes. And then I have a newsletter where you can read some of my writing. Whoa. That's at notthatmagellan.substack.com. Check it out. Alan, what about you? Notthatsubstack.magellan.com. I like it. Am I right? I wish. I robot. Um, I'm on a couple other podcasts. Most of my stuff, um, pop culture wise, can be. I got. I have to tell you something, which is that I was uh, working with my students to register them for their AP exams, uh-huh. and it's like they're having to recover their passwords and stuff. And yeah. one of my students said that he would try his Roblox password to see if that was it, because he just has made everything his Roblox password. Oh my god! Thank you for telling and- me that. And I thought you would need to know what the kids are up to these days. I'm so happy. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, Most of my pop culture stuff is found at scanlinemedia.com. That includes the Creature Quorum, where my friend Six and I talk about monsters from Pokemon and Monster Hunter. And now, Kingdom Hearts. We're bringing in the Kingdom Hearts creatures next, folks, to spoil the next episode that should be out by this time. Um, If it's not, then congratulations. You figured out a thing. Otherwise, I can be found on Talking Marketing, which is a bi-monthly marketing podcast I host for AMA Boston, where I interview marketing people about their craft and their work, and it's really fun. And I have a lot of episodes in the tank, so expect episodes of that fun show in your podcast feed for the foreseeable future. Magellan, I'm going to take the plug zone this week. If you have questions, comments, or emails for chats, our email address is chatspod at gmail.com. We're at chatspod on Twitter, while that nightmare of a website still exists. On YouTube, we are Chats Television Podcast. Where for now, you can find episodes of Should You Watch and maybe more things in the future. If you like the show, you can support us a few ways. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can review us there and follow the show and subscribe. 
help the algorithm work in our favor. And if you have the financial capability, please consider checking out our Patreon at patreon.com slash chatspot, where we uh, offer tiers at one, three, and five dollars a month for you to support chats and get bonus content like movie commentaries wrote, voted on by the listeners, Discord access, where we have discourse about movies and TV shows and video games. Uh, and you can also just get Discord access if you ask us nicely. We're not too exclusive about that. You just will, you'll have a special role if you're also a chat sim in there. Um, and if you are a $5 chat sim or more, then you are considered a Chatsy Watsy Deluxe Comfort Plus. And that means that you get thanked at the end of every main feed episode. So thank you to Arthur, Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, Magellan's mom, Marcus, Michael, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Six, and Stefan. Thank you so all for supporting chats. All things chats can be found at chatspod.com, C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D.com. If you like our main feed podcast art, our 90s inspired podcast art, it was done by Camilla, and she can be found at Camillastrator on social media platforms. Now, before we take it to the close, folks, we have one final segment, and it's called Chatsums, named after the classic Vlasic Snackum snacking pickle. In this segment, each host recommends you something to enjoy, think about, consume, or just consider between now and the next episode of Chats. So, Magellan, I have to ask you, what do you got for Chatsums this week? I double-checked to make sure that I hadn't Chatsum this before, uh, because I could have sworn that I had, but I... This is a piece of technology that I've had for a bit that has kind of been gathering dust for a while, but that I recently uh, took back out of the old box and have made use of and I'm really liking, and that is my Steam Deck, uh, my Valve Steam Deck. And uh, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I have this thing that can, like, play the games that my switch can't play and they'll they'll work so i think i joked about this earlier in the episode but i got nba 2k23 because i'm in the basketball hellhole um thing that i'm in um and i also got spider-man which i haven't played but i'm sure it'll be fun and you know what the other thing is that i did what's that made is it just I just got every Nintendo 64 game. <laughs> Even Blast Core? Ev- you- any, name any N64 game that was released in North America, and it is on my Steam Deck, and my Steam Deck can play it. Even Buck so, Bumble? Even, even Buck Bumble. Even Bumble Wayne has- Gretzky's NHL Hockey 99, or whatever that's called. Even Diddy Kong Race? Even Mace the Dark Age? Yes, I played Diddy Kong Racing a little bit. I have not yet cracked open Mesa Dark Age, but yes to that. Diddy Kong Racing is underrated. It's really good. And uh, I'll, I'll give another chat some here to part of the reason that I did this is my girlfriend really has wanted to relive a game from her past, which is Lego Racers. Ooh, yeah. And uh, Lego Racers has a fairly interesting and sophisticated item management system for a racer now isn't that kind of something and it's fun so you know turn your steam deck into a nintendo 64 on the go and also (laughs) get one or two big games that you want to play in your hands and it's really fun i'm 
the desire to get a Steam Deck is increasing slowly. I'm not. I would never play it. Let's be honest. I have a hacked Vita and a hacked 3DS. I'm good. Yeah, I I think you kind of like it takes time having it to figure out what you want it for, which is not a good (laughs) type of technology to have. Totally, you have to solve why Um, you bought it. But but if you're looking to emulate and you don't currently have emulation options that are mobile, it's yeah. like a, a an extremely good multifaceted mobile emulation machine. Word. Okay. That can also play AAA games. Anyway, so that's that. Um, what about you? Yeah, I have a couple chats and some quickies. So this past Saturday, I did a really fun movie marathon with some friends. I recommend this concept for your chat, my chats on this week. Uh, go into a random word generator on Google, have one of your friends or any of your friends pick a number, hit randomize on that random generator that many times, and whatever word you land on, that's your theme. And your goal as a group is to pick three movies. That's about the average length of a movie marathon that doesn't tire people out. It takes most of a day. Uh, three movies that fit the theme in either specific ways or not at all specific ways. It's like kind of like Cards Against Humanity without the racism. Uh, you can just Pick however cl- however close to the re- the prompt you want to be. Uh, so we got the word goats, uh, and our trio was the men who stare at goats. That's an obvious one. The Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, because Mr. Tumnus was in it, and The Witch, which features an evil goat. And it was just really fun. I think it's a cool way to, like, especially if you have a shorter attention span, you're like, how do I watch three movies? I mean, when they're completely different genres and styles and eras, it... It goes by really fast and you can, you know, get some snacks, take a break for dinner, take a shower, stretch a lot. It's it's a you, you there are worse ways to spend a Saturday afternoon. Very cool. That's what we got, folks. Michelle, I want to say thank you for being the Reese to my Huntress because the show just really wants us to get together and we haven't decided if we're going to do that or not. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Chats of Prey. Ah! Goodbye. <laughs>